0: Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. For those of you that don't uh, know, um, Matt and April got their second doses of the COVID uh, vaccine. Uh, yesterday, and for those of you who have already gone, it, you know that it hits most people pretty uh, hard. Um, Matt is fortunately stable to be with us tonight. Uh, please be praying for April. Uh, definitely uh, seemed to have hit her much harder than it hit uh, Matt. But uh, anyways, Matt asked me if I could uh, teach tonight, uh, knowing that he wasn't going to be at 100%. Uh, percent. Personally, I think him at 50% is much better than me at 100%, um, but I'm going to give it my best uh, effort. Uh, If you want to go ahead and take uh, your Bibles and turn them to the book of Matthew, uh, we are going to be in chapter 22 and going over verses uh, 15 through 22. Uh, but for those of you um, who uh, haven't been with us, or if you've been with us, just to give you a quick uh, refresher, uh, we've been doing this series on deep uh, fakes. It's talking about the ways that Satan and the world try to uh, deceive us with these with these lies, these deep fakes. And this is week four. The first week we talked about how if it's Christian, uh, we can trust in. We unpacked um, that that lie and talked about the idea that um, we should be trusting. Christ as opposed to Christians, and that we should be looking through the lens of truth that is the Bible, and the more that we learn about God and the Bible, the more we're able to discern what is Christian and what isn't Christian. The second week, we talked about gender and unpacked the deep fake that culture defines gender, and what we talked about, our big takeaway, was that um, we should get our definitions of culture from God, not from society. And then last week, we talked about uh, social media, and the deep fake is that social media corresponds to reality. And our takeaway from that was the idea that contentment, and being content with with where we are at in our lives and what we have and who we are, um, comes from focusing on what matters, as opposed to what doesn't matter. We focus on spiritual things, the heavenly things, as opposed to the um, earthly things that we often tend to focus on that correlate um, with social media. Tonight we're going to be talking about uh, politics, a very um, contentious and tumultuous topic, something that I don't need to tell you, um, tell you guys. Uh, obviously the storm is, uh, that's going on outside of us is very fitting um, with the topic. Um, I just want to preface uh, before I get into this uh, lesson by talking about what tonight isn't going to be about. Because again, this can be a very contentious uh, topic. So it's sort of going to feel like that I'm either walking on a tightrope or trying not to step on eggshells throughout this entire um, talk. But what tonight isn't going to be about, the things that I'm not going to talk about, this isn't going to be about. Trump versus Biden. It's not going to be about the results of the previous election. It's not going to be about Republicans versus Democrats. It's not going to be about my stance on, on political issues, various political issues, and it's not going to be me talking about how I think that you should be voting someday because because whether you like it or not, that's something that's going to be come very prevalent to you guys. Um, you know in the next coming, coming years, you know, for a lot of you guys, by the time we get to the next election in 2024, you guys are gonna be at the age where you're eligible to vote. But none of those things are gonna be what I'm gonna be talking about um, tonight. Now, when we think of politics, there's a whole wide spectrum of how people in general, maybe you guys, tend to react to politics. But there's three, there's three groups that I thought of. Now, obviously, this, is, this doesn't encompass everyone, but these are three groups that come to mind. The first group are the people, the averse people that have a non-confrontational approach um, to uh, politics. Um, one of the members in our, our tag group, uh, Cade, responded this way: "Kate, for the most part, I am right there with you." But the person that wants nothing to do with with politics says, "I'm not going to touch it with a ten with a ten foot pole." And if you're familiar with the with the Homer Simpson uh, GIF that was on the uh, on the screen there, just backing away and trying to get as far away from the situation as possible, saying I want nothing to do uh, with, with politics. So that's the first, the first sort of group. The second group are the people who are, are somewhat interested, the people that for the most part don't pay attention to, to politics. But, you know, come the election season and it gets closer to the election, you know, their interest perks up, they may get a little bit into it, they maybe do a little bit of research into, into the issues. They perhaps tune on, uh, listen to the presidential debates, whether they listen to those debates for actual informational reasons or watch them for comedic relief. I'm not going to be a judge of the reasons why you watch the debate, but perhaps they, they tune in, watch the presidential debate, they vote, they perhaps you know get their I voted sticker and post about it on, on social on social media. So we have those group of people, and then lastly we have the group of people that feels like they always have something to say about politics and are constantly posting about them, even if it's not their job, even if they're not in somebody who. Um, who is part of a political officer works in government, but they're the type of people that constantly stay up on these issues, are aware of them, and feel like that they always need to be posting something about them. And perhaps it's every other post or every post that they make on some sort of media or form of social or a platform or form of social media is designed to rile people up and cause arguments and generate confrontation. And so. Whether you guys, no matter what your feelings about um, politics are, I think that we can all agree that politics has become more intertwined with our culture than than ever before. Especially as social media has continued um, to grow. You know, when I was, you know, when I was growing up and when social media first came uh, to the stage, and you know, when I was in eighth grade and Face Facebook came about, there was hardly any political stuff that was talked about on social media. But now more and more people get their information, their news about politics from social media. And now that it's so much easier to disseminate and share and spread information about politics through social media, you guys see it much more on, on social media and culture than, than people like myself, Matt and the rest of us refuel leaders ever, um, ever did. Um, so there's an interesting statistic that I think Supports idea that there's more and more that's being posted um, about about politics and social media. So there was a uh, survey done uh, by the Pew Research Center, which is a think tank originated based out of Washington, D.C. In 2016, they said that 37 percent. What they found is that 37 percent of people um, prior to the 2016 presidential election were turned off by posts about politics. That was 37 percent, that was four, five years ago. Now fast-forward four years prior to the 2020 presidential election. That statistic went up to 55 percent, so 55 percent of people who utilized some form of social media were turned off by all of the the political, political posts on there. That, that's startling. That that number has increased so much, and at the same same time, I don't have the exact numbers, but there is also m- more people or less people that have become apathetic about politics and have become more interested and feel like that they have that they need to say something on social media um, about politics. And unfortunately, what's what's happened, I think, with this increase in posts is it's hasn't been done in the, the right way. I talked about how that there's a group of people that feel like they constantly have to make these posts, but they do so in an argumentative, in a confrontational way. And it leads to this, to this outrage and this anger and this hate and, and vitriol. Now there may be some of you guys that, that see these posts and like them, that, that are interested in politics, that are invested in them and love them and like, hear, like hearing what people, people have to say. There's some of you that may try to hide these posts, or try to stay away from them, or perhaps maybe you, uh, perhaps maybe you block or try to remove some of your your friends from social media, or try to hide or prevent yourself from seeing their posts if you don't like what they're posting or aren't as interested in uh, your your main feed or your homepage covered with posts about, about politics. Perhaps maybe you t- may take a break from social media. I'll be honest, I'll admit that's, that's what I did for a couple of months around the time of the 2020 president election. I just took a two month break from, from Facebook because I was, was tired of it and tired of seeing all the anger and negativity from people just bickering and arguing with each other. So maybe some of you people feel that way. But there may be some of you guys who see people posting about posting these issues, whether it's people who aren't Christians or are Christians, maybe it's people in this church, maybe it's family members or relatives, maybe it's other Christians who you look up to, and you may ask yourself, should I be posting about these issues? Should I be taking a stance on them? Should I be shouting out to the world and making the world known what my thoughts are on these issues? Or maybe you're asking yourself, like, well... You know, that person's Christian and they're posting about this issue or that issue, but if I don't, I don't agree with that, I don't agree with what they're saying, does that mean, and if I respect them as a Christian, I look up to them as a Christian, does that make, does that make me less of a Christian because I don't agree with what they have to say? And so we're going to talk about tonight what the Bible has to say about um, all of that. So again, if you have your Bibles uh, with you, uh, turn to the, uh, to the book of Matthew. Um, and I'm going to be reading a passage uh, that um, many of you guys may be familiar with or at least with uh, one of the final lines in this passage. Um, again, it's uh, Matthew 22, verses 15 um, through, through 2022. And the big takeaway um, for tonight that I want to leave you guys with Sort of the bottom, the bottom line is that giving your life to God above everything else is what matters. And I hope is that that'll make sense as I uh, go through this, this lesson. But Matthew chapter 22, just to set the stage, just to give you guys um, some context. So this story, this event, takes, takes place mere days before Jesus dies on the cross. Um, many people think that this took place on Tuesday or Wednesday, so either two or three days before um, Jesus was crucified and died on the cross um, on Good Friday. This takes place in the temple. Jesus is teaching, and he's approached by the Pharisees. And as a reminder, the Pharisees were the Jewish religious leaders who believed in the, the letter of the law as opposed to the spirit of the law. They proudly boasted their self-righteousness and how they um, obeyed the law and... and and followed it by, by the letter um, and committed, committed no sin. And they also, on top of the law, on top of the Old Testament, they tried to add on their additional laws. And what it led to is this sort of oppression for the Jews, and they became more of a slave to the law because of all this bondage through the law that the Pharisees tried to impose on them. And Jesus called them out. He called them out for their self-righteousness, their pride, and their hypocrisy, and the Pharisees absolutely hated it. They hated it, and they were averse to it, not only because Jesus opposed everything that they stood for, but in addition to that, he was easily able to captivate a crowd in ways that the Pharisees couldn't, and he was sort of stealing their thunder taking the attention away from them, and it was being directed towards Jesus. In addition, in addition to these, not only, not only did that, not only did, they call, did he call them out and take the crowds away from them, but in addition to that, just prior to this, if you go back to Matthew, if we go back just a chapter to Matthew uh, chapter 21, he had just finished cleansing the temple and calling the religious leaders out from turning the temple from place of worship into this lucrative um, business. The way it's described is he called the temple a den of thieves that had just taken place as well. And then just prior to this, um, prior to this story, um, he had proceeded to humiliate the, the Pharisees in front of the crowds by, one, refusing to tell them where he got his authority from. Because he, they questioned him and told him, like, on what authority are you teaching these things? what authority do you have to cleanse out the temple and drive all these people um, out and deprive us of this, you know, lucrative business? And he basically told them, like, look, you didn't understand before where my authority came from, so you're definitely not going to understand where it comes from now, so I'm not going to tell you that. And then through a series of three parables, the parables, we don't have time to get into them, but the parable of the two sons, the parable of the vine dressers, and the parable of the wedding feast, he essentially is talking about the kingdom of God and tells them that, look, the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from you guys, and because of the way you act, the way you live your lives, because of your pride and your hypocrisy, you're not destined for the kingdom of God, essentially, that there's, you know, there's going to be spots in heaven, but they're not, not for you guys. You're destined to hell based on the way you're living your lives. And so he's basically humiliate them and call them out in front of the entire crowd or temple. And so what they attempt to attempt to do is it says that they get together and plot, plot together and try to figure out like, how they can get him, how they can arrest him. Now, this isn't obviously the first time that this, has come, that this has come across in the gospel. There's multiple times in the gospels where it talks about how, you know, the Pharisees, you know, are trying to meet and gather together and try to see, like, how they can get, get Jesus, how they can kill him, how they can, um, you know, get him arrested, whatever. So I can just only imagine, you know, how many times that they've, you know, written on the paper or gone back to the drawing board how they like, all right, like, well, we tried this. That didn't work. That didn't work. Anybody got any better ideas? Like, we've tried just about everything, and we can't get, get this guy. But now here's their next tactic. Here's the next thing that they're going to try to do to get Jesus, try to uh, foil him in everything that he's been doing in his earthly uh, ministry. So I'll begin here in verse 15. It says this. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, I'm just going to stop there because you may be wondering, like, who the heck are the Herodians? Like, where did they come into play? So, so, the disciples of the Pharisees were working with the Herodians to try to arrest Jesus. The Herodians were political followers as opposed to religious followers like the Pharisees were. And they followed somebody that you guys may be familiar with by the name of King Herod. Now, the Herodians and the Pharisees did not get along. They butted heads. It was essentially like water and oil. They did not mix together. And the reason for that is that the Herodians were in support of the Roman influences and the Roman rule that was being exerted uh, over Israel. The reason for that is because of the support of Rome, the Rome allowed King Herod to stay in power. And so through that... Um, Without, without Roman support, then the Herodians wouldn't exist. So that's why the Herodians were in support of Rome's influence over Israel. The Pharisees were anti-Rome. Um, and some of you guys may be familiar with that. There was a sect of Pharisees that was so opposed to the Roman rule that they became this sort of insurrectionist terrorist group known as the, um, the Zéliots, not Zealots, that would do sort of vandalism or extreme destructive acts such as fire and destroying buildings because they were so against um, Roman rule. So these two groups uh, didn't agree um, with each other. Um, The the Pharisees felt that the intrusion of Rome and its Hellenistic and pagan influences were defying God's rule. But in this case, they decided to uh, work together. Now, this isn't the first time that we hear about this in the Gospels. I believe it's in John chapter 3. It talks about the Pharisees and the Herodians working um, together to plot against uh, Jesus. But essentially, you can imagine, this is a scenario where, you know, they're probably saying to each other, look, we don't like you, you don't like us. But we both hate Jesus. So this is one of those the enemy of my enemy is my friend scenarios. And if we can just work together, set our differences aside, let's come up with a plan that we can get Jesus, and then we can go back to hating, hating each other. So that's who the Herodians are. So now it says here, after it says that their disciples with the Herodians came, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of man. Tell us therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or or not? Now, initially you may see this and say, like, well, like those sound like you know very true, true things that they're saying about Jesus. And you'd be right, all those are very true things. But they were done in a sarcastic manner. The Pharisees didn't believe any of these things. Essentially, what they were trying to do is, is flatter Jesus. Essentially saying, like, we know you teach the ways of God. We know you're a man of, you know, great conviction. And it's, and it's misleading here. I want to um, clear something up. And it says here, the last thing that they say is that, for you do not regard the person the person of man. Uh, prior to that, it says, nor do you care about anybody. They weren't actually saying that, like, you don't care about anybody, because obviously they saw his compassion and the miracles that he performed and hearing about the things that he did, such as the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. What essentially what they were saying is that we know that you're a man of great conviction, and because of that, you're not, your opinions aren't swayed by anybody else. So all that being said, they're trying to lure him to this trap. They're trying to flatter him up and saying that, like, we know that, like, you, you're staunch and hold firm in your, in your convictions and your beliefs. So because of that, we have a question for you. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, now, this Caesar that I was talking about, Caesar being the Roman, uh, the Roman emperor, now this wasn't the Julius Caesar that some of you guys have read about if you've read Shakespeare um, in, in high school or middle school. Um, this was an emperor by the name of Tiberius. But every Roman emperor after um, Julius Caesar took on the title of Caesar. So was actual, his actual political name was Tiberius Caesar Augustus, and he was the Roman emperor um, at, the, at the time. Now, when they're asking, is it lawful, they weren't meaning, like, is it, lawful pertaining, is it lawful pertaining to Roman law, but is it lawful pertaining to God? Should we be paying these taxes or not? When we talk about these taxes, it's important to know that the Romans exerted several different types of taxes on the Jews. There was a, there was a um, property tax. There was a grounds tax on, on their grain and their barley. There was an income tax. There was a business tax that was believed to be on all the imports and exports um, coming out of the area. There's uh, many experts that believe that that was the type of tax uh, that Matthew, the tax collector, uh, was involved in before he left and, and started following Jesus and became a disciple of him. And then the last one that most people believe that is being referred to here is the poll tax. Now, the poll tax was essentially a tax, an annual tax that everybody in the land had to pay once a year, and that tax consisted of a denarius. And if you don't know what a denarius is, it was essentially one day's wage, so one day's worth of work. Now, for the Jews and the Pharisees, this was the tax that they were the most... Offended by and most outraged by, and the reason being is that they felt like that it was the biggest intrusion on their religion and their ideas that we are a people of God, and they felt like that this was a big intrusion and insult um, to that, and saying that like this needs to be this is more important, giving this to Rome as opposed um, as opposed to God, essentially. And so you can imagine how upset they were feeling that that this money was going to Rome as opposed to God, or in the case of the Pharisees, going to their own pockets um, instead of God. But regardless of the reason, that they were outraged. They couldn't stand this this poll tax, and they were furious about it. Meanwhile, the Herodians supported this tax because, again, they were pro-Rome. And if that tax kept Caesar in power in the Roman Empire... um, Able to exert its influence and rule over Israel, then it kept King Herod and the Herodians in power. So obviously they were in support of it. And so these two parties thought that they had Jesus' trap, knowing that there's no way that he can answer this for one side or the other without getting in, in trouble. If he said yes, that the tax is lawful, then he knew that there was going to be an uproar, that the Pharisees were going to say that he was against the Jews, there was going to be an insurrection, there was probably going to be a rebellion, and he was going to lose a lot of his supporters and followers. If he didn't say that the tax was awful, that it was wrong for the Jews and the Pharisees and everyone in Israel to be paying the tax, then the, then the Herodians, and probably the Pharisees as well, to piggyback on top of them, would say that... That it is wrong, like you're committing a crime and that he would be against Rome and that Rome would be out for him, and they would probably try to do everything in their power to get Jesus arrested. And so you come to this and you feel like it's, this is a lose-lose situation here, that there's no way Jesus is out of it. Essentially, this seems like a Sophie's choice, that no matter what he answers, there's no good that can come out of it. There's no good answer or solution to this question. But here's how he, he responds. Listen to this. In verse 18, it says, but Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore, or render being some of your translations may say give, but it has the idea of give or to pay back or to settle a debt. But he says, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God, the things that are God's. And when they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. And so in just such a short and what seemed like a simple bit of a simple statement, what was so profound and was sort of like a mic drop. You notice that at the end there, it says that they heard these words and marveled and left, left him and went their way, that they didn't know how to respond to essentially like Jesus made a statement and just mic, mic drop. And nobody knew how to respond to it. Because in a way, he was sort of saying, like, yes, yes to both of the, those. Sort of, like, yes, it's lawful in a way, like, no it's, no, it's not lawful. And they're sort of confused, like, how do they respond? Like, what does this mean? Well, that's what I'm going to impact now. So in the remaining time I have left, I have three takeaways that I want you guys to get away uh, from this lesson shortly. The first one is that we are citizens of a God-instituted government. We are citizens of a God-instituted government. Um, governments. The country that we live in, the United States, and many other, con- many other countries, have a, de- have a democratic government. And that democratic government, the government that we are part of here in the United States, was instituted by God. Listen to what it says here in Romans chapter 13, verses um, 1 to 2. You don't have to uh, turn there, but if you just want to listen to this. It says here at the beginning of Romans chapter 13, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And so what Paul is essentially saying there is that this government was instituted by God. And so if you disobey the government, you're essentially disobeying being God. And again, who rebels against the authorities is rebelling against what God has instituted. So he's saying that you can't go against the government, and you can't say it's not, not lawful because you're essentially going against what God has instituted here. Now, there were many benefits to the, to the Roman, Roman taxes, regardless of uh, whether some Jews, in this case, most of the Jews and Pharisees didn't like the taxes, there were many benefits to these Roman taxes. Because of the Roman taxes, there was a military force and a military presence in the area. Streets and waterways such as aqueducts were able to be uh, developed because of these um, taxes, and so there were a lot of benefits that came out of them. And similarly with our taxes, they support many, many programs, whether it's um, healthcare, social security, parks and recreation, public, public services, military, law enforcement, you name it, the list goes on and on. So there's a lot of different taxes and benefits that come um, from those. And so what essentially what Jesus was saying when he says that look inscri- the inscription image of caesar is on this coin this denarius it's caesar's coin he wants to back as part of the taxes therefore give it back back to him it's not unlawful. it's not against it's not irresponsible or immoral for him to take to demand this tax from you guys so therefore it's his coin his image and inscription is on it give it back to him now similarly Obviously, you guys know that we have many, many taxes as well, and there's, again, there's many benefits that come, come out of them. And whether you like paying those taxes or not, or whether you like obeying certain laws, the best example that I can think of is traffic laws. We all know there's a litany of different traffic laws, and we all know that oftentimes we have a tendency to break them and get, get tickets, or go or break those rules and maybe not get tickets, whether it's running red lights, or the biggest one, speeding. Not doing complete stops and doing a rolling rolling stop. Going the wrong way down a one-way street. Maybe that's, maybe that's just me, I don't know about you, you guys. Those of you who don't know, a couple years ago, D-NOW weekend, I went the wrong way down a one-way street. I haven't gotten a ticket for, for it yet. Maybe someday, <laughs> just kidding. Um, we have all of these laws, all of these rules, and whether we like them or not, we are called to uh, obey them. There's another reason that's important for us to obey them, not just because it's essentially if we disobey them, we're disobeying God. But listen to what it says here in 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 13, it says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And notice the phrase where it says, silence the ignorance of foolish men. If we want to strengthen our our testimony and demonstrate our love of God and others, we can do so by respecting and supporting those who are in political office. Whether we fully agree or not with what they do, or perhaps how they utilize the taxes or the rules that they put in place, the way we strengthen our, our, tes, our testimony and demonstrate our love and demonstrate that we're Christians to others is by obeying and respecting those laws and supporting through his political office. And if God's able to create a nation like this, a democratic nation, then we're to honor those rules and honor the systems that are put into place, whether we fully agree with them or not. And so that's essentially what Jesus is saying here when he said, render unto Caesar things that are Caesar's. So that's my first point. The second point is that we have a dual citizenship in heaven. Although our citizen, um, although we have a citizenship here on earth, that is temporary. Philippians 3.20 reminds us that our permanent citizenship is in heaven. That's what I mean by this dual citizenship. Listen to what it says here in Philippians chapter 3. It says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what essentially he's saying there is that because our citizenship is heaven, we're strangers. We're foreigners in this We're foreigners in this land. Another way that's described is in the book of Hebrews. Listen to what it says here in Hebrews chapter chapter eleven. This is when um, the passage of the sort of the great like faith hall of fame is being talked about here in Romans chapter eleven. But listen how the author of Hebrews describes uh, some of these faithful people. he talks about. He talks about Abraham. He talks about Sarah. um, He talks about Noah. He talks about Enoch. He talks about Abel. All these people. And listen to what he says here in verse 13. It says, "'These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland.'" And so when Jesus also said, "'Render unto God the things that are gods,' what he was reminding them is that although we are to submit to those authorities on earth, that authority is a limited authority, meaning that it's limited because it was ultimately given by God. And God is the supreme authority. He's the ultimate and supreme authority that we have in heaven. And although he was saying that that image and inscription of Caesar was on the denarius, what he was also reminding us of is what he talked about in Genesis. Remember the creation story in the book of Genesis chapter, chapter one? after God had created everything on the earth, the plants, the fish, the grass, the the dirt, the water, everything, he then says in verse 26 of chapter one, let us make man in our image. And so what Jesus was saying, pointing us back to, is that although that image of Caesar is on that coin, that denarius, we can't forget the fact that the image of God is imprinted on us, imprinted on us as man. In our bodies, in our spirit, in our, in our souls. And so we can't forget that. And because of that, that's the ultimate authority that we have to submit to over our earthly authority. And because of that, that means that even though we are to obey the authorities, we have to be careful of the fact that if there was ever a situation that if the authorities asked us to do something that caused us to disobey God, then we ought to obey God rather than man. That comes from Acts chapter five. Some of you guys may be familiar. There's a story in the book of Acts where um, after Jesus has gone up to heaven, Peter and some of the other disciples, they're preaching. The Pharisees squash it. They get, the Pharise- they get Peter and the disciples arrested. Then that night, an angel comes and frees them out of jail. And then the very next day or shortly thereafter, they're preaching again in the temple. And the Pharisees catch them, religious leaders catch them and tell them like, didn't we just tell you, like we didn't want you teaching and then Peter has the guts and stands up to him and says, we ought to obey God rather than man. And so it's a reminder that as much as, as, much as we are to obey the rules and laws that are in place, if there was ever anything that, anything that was put into place, any sort of rule or edict that would cause us, ask of us or require of us to go against the law of God, that would be where we'd draw the line. And that's where we would be called to take, take our stand, as it says in the Bible. Now, obviously, that can be, that's easier said than done. It's not as always crystal clear in that. It's not as black, black and white. But the hope is that the more that we submit to God, the more that we have that perspective that our supreme and ultimate authority comes from heaven, it gives us a better perspective. It gives us a better framework, understanding of what we should be rendering to Caesar in this case or how we should be respecting and obeying um, our earthly government. So that's the second point. And then finally, the third point here is that our heavenly citizenship supersedes our earthly citizenship. When Jesus was saying there, give unto God or render to God the things that are God's, he wasn't just reminding people that their obedience to God trumps their obedience to government, but he was also reminding them that since we are made in God's image, and since we were bought, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says, for you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What he was reminding them is that in everything that we should be doing, we should be glorifying God with our actions and pointing others to Jesus. And there's sometimes, given that, how much of an increase there's been in all these political posts and people and chatter on social media about politics, there's so many times where I wonder, and I look at all the arguing and the outrage and the hate and the bicker and the the vitriol and anger and wonder how much more good could be done if those posts weren't about politics and about pointing others to, to Jesus. And it's not just about politics. It's about everything that we do and everything that we talk about and everything that we post and share about, whether it's fashion, whether it's culture, whether it's sports, whether it's video games, whatever it was interested in. Imagine how much more good could be done if more of our primary focus and our primary interest would be talking about the things of God and sharing and posting about those as opposed to politics or whatever it is you're, whatever it is you're interested in, whatever it is your passion was in. That's what Jesus is getting at, not just talking about submitting to the ultimate authority of God over politics. It was about so much more than that. It was about completely submitting and surrendering our lives to God. And that's what our focus should be here at, at Fuel. It's not my job, it's not Matt's job, it's not April's job, it's not even the leader's job to talk about politics. Frankly, that's not something that I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about politics. I'm much more interested in talking about the things of God, and that's what we should all be wanting to talk about. But that's not our job here, to talk about politics. But our job here is to help you guys grow, help you guys grow closer to Christ. You guys see there on the back wall, our mission of Refuel is to help you guys grow upward, inward, outward, and forward. That's our goal here at, at Refuel. And the way we live our lives for God and surrender and submit to his will and become more like him That's what's ultimately gonna demonstrate our relationship to to others. Not whether you identify with conservatives, whether you identify with liberals, whatever political ideology, even if it's somewhere in between. Identifying with them is not determining your relationship with God. Matt talked about this, I think two weeks ago, when he talked about uh, culture defining gender and unpacking that deep fake. But the point that he made that I loved is that when we realize that our ultimate identity is in God, everything else takes second place. And that includes politics as well. And that leads us back again to the bottom line. The one takeaway that I want you guys to get away is that giving your life to God above everything else is what matters. And we have, when we have that perspective, when we have that framework, it helps us navigate how do we approach politics. And so with that, I have three application points. I have P words tonight. I wasn't able to come up with F words, but I've got P words. The first one is this. Pray for those who are in, in authority. I don't know how you guys feel about who's, who's president or who was president. Maybe, maybe you're happy that Joe Biden is president, maybe you aren't happy. Maybe you're happier when Donald Trump is president. But no matter who is in president or who is in Congress, what we are called to do when Trump was president, we're called to support him. Now that Joe Biden is president, we're called to support him. We're also called to pray for him. You know why? Because they aren't perfect. They're humans. They're sinners just like you and me. And even and whether you realize it or not, they need just as much wisdom and guidance as we do and just as much prayer to be able to have, navigate our country and make the decisions that they feel is best for our country. So that's the first point. Pray for those who are in authority and pray for those who are in political office. The second application is find peace in God's plan. Now again, similar to that, I don't know how you feel about the last two elections. Some of you guys may have been happy with the results. Some of you guys may have been nervous or worried or scared about the direction that our country may be headed based on those results. But what I want you guys to take comfort in and rest on is the fact that although you may be scared, you may be nervous, regardless of the emotion you're feeling, the person who isn't feeling scared or isn't nervous is the one, is the one above, our Lord and creator, God. Because he wasn't surprised by this, he, didn't, he, he saw this coming, he knows exactly what's happening. Because everything that's happening is in accordance with his plan, a plan that we may not fully, fully understand, but we will someday when we get to heaven. And my hope is that we can all pray, even when we don't understand, even when we have a hard time making, making sense of the people arguing and the political things that are going on in our country, that we can pray that God will give us a peace, that the peace that it talks about that passes all understanding and that God's got this, he's in, he's in control, and we can rest our roles in that. Not ultimately in the human decisions um, that are made because ultimately those human decisions stem from God. And the final application point is prioritize Christ over political things. Again, it's not about being a Democrat or a Republican that strengthens your relationship with God. Being a Republican or being a Democrat doesn't make you any more of a Christian or any less of a Christian. And given that, you know, we're members of a conservative Baptist church, I apologize that, that the picture is sometimes, oftentimes, is painted that having Republican ideas makes you more right or more of a Christian, and that having liberal ideas, perhaps, makes you wrong or less of a Christian. It's not about that. It never was about that. It's never what it's supposed to be. That's not what God would want it to be. What he would want it to be is what makes you more of a Christian is going back to what our church's mission is, is being disciples who live and love like Jesus. And that's what makes us more of a Christian. Let's pray. God, I know it's not as simple um, as this. It's much more complicated than that sometimes. And our teens, God, are, are living, living in a much more complicated, confusing world than perhaps that we, we grew up in when we were teenagers' as refuel uh, leaders. But thankfully, no matter what's changing in our culture, no matter what's going on in society, thankful for the fact that your word doesn't change and that that's always the anchor that we can, that we can rest and that we can trust in. Um, I thank you, God, for this uh, message, God. I thank you for the teens here that, are, that came here tonight that are just eager to learn and hear what, you, what your word has to say on this issue. Um, God, I just pray that you'll help them navigate this. as confusing it may be seeing everything that's talked about with um, politics and not knowing where to turn, not knowing what to believe, what stance, um, stance to take. I just pray that, that, that you'll give them the guidance and wisdom to navigate these things, especially as they um, get older and get to the point where, where they'll be able to vote on these issues and vote uh, for who is in office. That you'll give them the peace and guidance on how to navigate these difficult issue, issues, these difficult situations, and ultimately... Ultimately, not get consumed by the politics, and ultimately remember that that their prime that their prime goal, that their prime responsibility, is to surrender and submit to you, and that should be the prime focus as opposed to um, politics. God, I just pray as well for, for those who are in office, for um, our national leaders as well as uh, you know, in our in our local and state governments. Um, they don't have they don't have an easy easy job. Um, and God, I just pray that um, whether we agree or disagree with who is in office or decisions that we make, I just pray that um, pray for them and pray that we would continue to pray for um, them. That you would just give them the, the guidance to make the decisions what are best for this country. I thank you for the word. I thank you for the opportunity that we're able to come here um, tonight and learn from it. And it's in your name that I pray, Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.